0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at Norsefarychurch.org. Man, what y'all do? Y'all go out this weekend and head all the college campuses and invite people to church? Hey, we got Pine Cove people in the house. We are so excited to see you. Are y'all okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. See, that's what I want from my people. When I preach and I ask a question, it's not rhetorical. I want that. Are y'all all right? I'm all right. you Norris Ferry, we got to step our game up. That's what I'm talking about right there. Oh, we are so excited to see y'all. We are really, really happy to have Pine Cove uh, counselors in Pine Cove. It's called Camp in the City. And what they do is they take the concept that's out in the country and they bring it to the city. And uh, it's a real, real popular thing. We, we fill up literally the day that registration opens. It closes like the next within twenty-four hours. It's that that well attended. So we're excited as an outreach to our city, a way to serve uh, the families of our city, to provide uh, such a great ministry to them. I always think it's the best thing ever because they do all the work and we get all the credit. That's the kind of ministry I appreciate. Uh, so uh, it's good. Hey, we're looking at the book of Joel. We're going to cover the whole book of Joel today as we continue our second message in the Minor Prophets series. Uh, the Minor Prophets, as we We kicked it off. We're calling it a summer to remember. And when we talk about a summer to remember, we're not just saying we want to have a summer where we have the best vacations ever, though Pine Cove will give you a great summer to remember. But what we see in the prophets is that they say, remember the Lord. In all that you've got going on, in all that you face, be sure to remember the Lord. The prophets are constantly crying out saying, hey, remember what I said, remember what I said. It's kind of like, and this is all hypothetical, I'm sure it never happened in my house or in these counselors' house because they are examples to our young folk. But imagine uh, someone's bedroom became a disaster, right? It wasn't cleaned up, it wasn't picked up, like as if a bomb went off. I know this is hard for you to imagine, but imagine someone's room that is so devastatingly messy that it looks like a bomb went off. And so as a parent, you hypothetically say to them, hey, I need you to clean your room. I need you to, to get the room clean. We talked about this. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Mom, hypothetically. You know, I'm sorry. I know you told me to do that. And a, a few days go by, and, and we parents don't dare to go in that room, but we kind of foolishly hope that progress is being made back there when actually it's only getting worse, And hypothetically. And so we walk in, and we see it. What in the world? I told you to clean your room. Remember what I said? Clean your room. Another week goes by, no progress. And finally, we kind of come to our senses and we say, okay, if that room is not clean by Friday, nothing happens. I don't care if your friends invite you to Cancun, you ain't going because that room's not clean. And so you lay down the gauntlet, right? Hypothetically, this is what we do as parents. And so we say, I don't care what, no matter what, Friday, if that room's not clean, you're not doing anything. And then we go. They're not going to remember. And I don't really want them to miss out on the trip. I want them to go if they get invited. So we start punishing ourselves hypothetically and saying, hey, it's Wednesday. Hope you hadn't forgotten. Remember what I said. Friday's coming. And if you haven't cleaned the room, there's going to be consequences. Wednesday evening, you're kind of keeping track. They ain't paying attention. They ain't even thought about the room. Hey, Friday's coming. Remember what I said. So you're punishing yourself every day for two or three days. And finally, I'm just telling you, Friday is coming. And if you don't take care of business, there will be consequences. And then finally, at 4.59, because you gave them 5 o'clock deadline, they clean the room, right? This is what the prophets are doing to us. They say, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And it's not meant to be a, a scare tactic. It's meant to be a blessing to us. To say, hey, remember what I said. The day of the Lord is coming. And if you are not prepared for the day of the Lord, there will be consequences. So God is gracious to to give out these trumpet blasts, these clarion calls, these alarm bells. Hey, listen, the day of the Lord is coming, and I'm being extraordinarily patient with you, but I want you to know that that day is really coming, and you need to be prepared. Remember, we said Moses, we, we studied Genesis before we got into the minor prophets, and Moses records in deuteronomy the time where god has brought his people to the edge of the promised land the exodus has happened come out of egypt they're about to go into the long-awaited promised land but in deuteronomy moses says but before you go into the land let me say some words to you and the main emphasis of that of that word to them was when you get into the land And you're experiencing the blessings of God and you build houses and you've got land and you're enjoying peace and rest from your enemies. When I've lavished you with my blessings, Moses says, remember the Lord. Do not forget the Lord as you enjoy the blessings of God. Isn't it it messed up that the blessings that God lavishes on us tend to we allow them, we pervert them, and tend to lead us away from the very God who blessed us with them. And so the prophets come and say, hey, remember the Lord as your heading into the summer, as life is good, sports kind of take a pause, school is takes a pause, work, you get vacation days, and, and you're enjoying it, and, and you're enjoying vacation, and your, your checking account's getting full, and your retirement's getting set up, and you're, you, you do a remodel on your home, and you're enjoying all the blessings of God, and your kids, and time together, all the things that are just lavished upon you, grace after grace, blessing after blessing. And what do we do with that? We get lukewarm. We kind of put God on the side, you know, we start to to get lukewarm and as students we tend to say, you know, it's graduation and this summer is my summer to party. And God says, that's not how it works. And as adults we say, you know what? I'm not as bad as them. Or, oh, they're just being kids. Or, as long as I'm doing this. And the Lord has to constantly check our hearts and say, hey, there is an absolute standard that never changes, and it's holiness, it's righteousness. And there's a day of the Lord where we will face the Lord. It's coming. Be ready. That's what the message of the prophets is, is be ready, remember, the day of the Lord is coming. We're looking at the book of Joel today. There's only three chapters in Joel, but in five verses of those three chapters, Joel mentions the day of the Lord. Let me just review those real quick to show you. This is what he's all about. Joel 1:15. alas, the day of the Lord for the Lord, the day of the Lord is near. And as destruction from the Almighty, it comes, Joel 2.1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. Why? For the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. Joel 2.11. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great. And very awesome. Who can endure it? That's the question of the text. Who can endure this terrible coming day of the Lord? Joel 2.31. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And Joel 3.14. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So Joel is all about the day of the Lord. I wonder if we have any clue what he is talking about. What is the day of the Lord? So two things I want to do today. First, I want to portray what Joel tells us is the reality of the day of the Lord. It is real. It is happening. And then the second is the characteristics, the nature of the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord like Lord, I ask that you would teach us this morning that your Holy Spirit would take the truths of Scripture, these warnings, these clarion calls, these trumpet blasts to awake us from our lackadaisical attitudes toward you, to call us back to faithfulness, that we might turn from the paths of destruction and remain in your place of life and joy and peace and blessing walking with you on that path. Help us, Lord, to heed the call of the day of the Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's what I do. we we'll look at three characteristics of the day of the Lord, pulling these out from the book of Joel. First of all, we see the day of the Lord is a day of destruction doesn't take much to figure that out, just reading these verses that I've already read to you about the day of the Lord. But let's look again at one fifteen, Joel one fifteen. Joel says, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty, it comes. So here we see the day of the Lord will be a day of destruction. It's often referred to as the terrible day of the Lord, because if you study it, it is terrible. It's a day in which God finally runs out of patience. He's been warning. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. You're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. It's coming. Repent. Don't face the wrath. Don't experience this terrible day. I don't want you to go through this day. Friday's coming. And you're going to face the consequences. And then finally, it comes. And God Pours his wrath out on those who are resisting his grace. Think about that. Those who resist, those who are stiff necked, those who hate the Lord, those who refuse to hear the gospel message, those who will not just receive forgiveness. He finally says, All right, your just retribution is yours. He, to help, Describe such a terrible day. You know, terrible days are, are... It's like you can't put words to it. That's why you see in Joel, the verse 2 and following, the text narrows. It's poetry. It, you got to be careful when you're reading poetry. When you read your scriptures, you want to look at the genre. And if it's poetry, it's meant to be understood as poetry. Mountains don't literally bow down. In poetry, it's a way of communicating something. And here we see... The writer, author Joel, proclaims what this terrible day is like in poetic language, but he uses it to describe a locust invasion to say this is how destructive it is. He says in verse 2, Hear this, you elders, wise ones, listen, wise ones, give ear. All inhabitants of the land has such a thing happened in your days. This is something like you've never seen before. Or in the days of your fathers, tell your children of it and let your children tell their children and let their children tell another generation. In other words, this is a a once-in-a-lifetime event. No disrespect to the the terrible events of 9-11, but that's what it's like. It's such an amazing, destructive day that generation after generation will tell about it. That's what he's saying. He's like, this day of the Lord is like you've never seen. And you better warn your kids and their kids and your grandkids and your great-grandchildren. You better pass the word. It is that terrible. It'll be unlike anything you've seen. In fact... It's like a locust invasion. Listen to 1.4. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. He's trying to say, you know what a locust invasion is like? That's what it's going to be like. I want you to watch this video to see what a locust invasion is like.
1: For three quarters of an hour, a giant swarm of locusts about fifteen kilometers long crosses Madagascar's National Route 7. This road is normally popular with tourists who come for the breathtaking views. But today they're observing a natural disaster, a plague of locusts which has already destroyed half of the island's crops. They can create
0: a lot of damage. They eat the pastures and then also the rice and the corn, which is about to be
1: harvested. According to experts, there are currently 100 swarms across Madagascar, made up of about 500 billion locusts. And they get through around 100,000 tons of vegetation every single day. There's already not much rice. Not many people have more than 10 hectares
0: of crops. So after the locusts, there's nothing left for our women and children to eat. The cattle have nothing left to eat either.
1: The locusts have already destroyed 50% of the country's rice fields, the staple food for Malagasy people. Authorities are calling for the aid to be released quickly before half of its population goes hungry.
0: What the suffering locusts, What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten such that already half of the population has no food. The cattle have no food. The drought comes. The people starve. It is a terrible, terrible day. And Joel wants us to connect with something to see how terrible this day will be and in his day it's a locust invasion and you tell me a locust invasion and I'm like I don't even know if those things are real that sounds like some science fiction novel and here it is in the news just to say this is real the day of the Lord is real this is not science fiction there is a terrible day of the Lord that is coming and it will be destructive and rather than locust invasions we should go to something like The the terrible events of 9-11, as destructive as that is, the images in your mind that we talk about, that we remember, that we tell generation after generation how terrible that day was, that's what it's going to be like. It's going to be terrible. It'll be a time of wailing. And then Joel talks about it'll be a time of of wailing for everyone who has to go through it. And he talks about the, the wine drying up and the offering's drying up. And the idea is that all the spoils of victory, all the blessings of God, and all those who are abusing those blessings of God, the wine dries up, and the priests, he says, the offerings dry up. Listen to what he, how he describes that day in verse 5. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine because of sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has to come upon my land, powerful and beyond number, its teeth Our lion's teeth, it has fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the groom of her youth. A young lady about to get married, the dream of her life dies. That's the lament that he calls us to. He says, All the spoils of God, all the blessings of God, all the blessings of his goodness to us, gone. Lament. And then he talks about the worship that dries up. He says, Priests, he says in verse 9, the grain offering and the drink offering, they're cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed. The ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up. The oil languishes. Verse 12 The vine dries up. The fig tree languishes. Pomegranate, palm, apple. All the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness is dried up. It's a terrible day. The rest of the prophets are just filled with these messages. If you read the the prophets, you read Isaiah mentions it, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Obadiah, Zephaniah, Malachi. They all mention this called the day of the Lord. And here's just a few of the words they use to describe the day of the Lord. Terrible, awesome, bitter, a time of wailing, wrath and fierce anger, destroying sinners from the land. A day of God's vengeance against his foes, a day of darkness, a time when mighty men cry aloud. A great and awesome day. A day when one's deeds are returned on one's own head. A day of punishment of the officials and of kings. It's a real day. It's a terrible day. It's a day of tribulation. Revelation 6.12 describes tribulation. And Revelation uses the same phrases that Joel uses to describe this day or this season, this period of time. Revelation 6.12 says, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood. That's the same language of Joel 2.31. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the great and awesome Day of the Lord comes. So when we say the day of the Lord, this is not just an instant 24-hour day. This is a period of terrible tribulation of God pouring his wrath out on his enemies. It is a terrible day. One to be avoided at all cost. Not only is the day of the Lord a day of destruction... But the day of the Lord is also a day that is near. A day that is near. Joel 2 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. I think this is hard for us to believe, hard for us to really understand. Virtually every mention of the day of the Lord, virtually every single one of them, says it is near. It is hastening fast. The scriptures exhort every generation to live with the sense of expectancy that it could happen in my lifetime. As I watched these videos on locust invasions, trying to find one to play for you, I learned a little bit about them. And what I heard the farmers saying in these different news interviews was, well, we knew it was the season for locust invasions. And there was a flood that came first. And they knew that meant the locust invasion was to follow. And just like that, we are not just like crazy weird people are supposed to do this. We are supposed to look at the scriptures and understand the season is, is here. It is. There's nothing to cause us to say, no, I don't need, that's not going to happen. The Bible does the opposite. It says, you could see this. It's near. It could happen in your lifetime. In fact, the Bible gives us some markers. I'm uncomfortable looking at these things because I grew up seeing weirdos do this. But the Bible does this and says, look for these things. Just like the farmers see rain, they know flooding happens, and then the locust invasion happens. The Bible tells us, Joel tells us, the outpouring of the Spirit will happen you know you're in the last days, and that's when this day of the Lord will happen. Listen to what he says in Joel two twenty eight and 29. He says, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions even on the male and female servants in those days. I will pour out my spirit. And so Joel is saying that in the last days, the Lord will pour out His Spirit. And that will be an indication that you live in the last days, and then the day of the Lord will come. When was that? When is that? Have we seen that? Well, on Resurrection Sunday, I preached from Acts, and Peter in his sermon that I preached on, Peter says... The day of Pentecost, the day when you guys all are talking about in in Peter's sermon, he says, they're not drunk. That's the outpouring of the Spirit that Joel was talking about. So let me read to you what Peter said in his sermon. He says, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the, quote, last days, it shall be. God declares... I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So let me make sure I'm not confusing anybody. So after Jesus died, buried, rose again, ascended to heaven, he poured his spirit out on some people. Peter was there. He saw it. People were like, they're drunk. This is weird stuff. And Peter says, no, they're not drunk. This is the outpouring of the Spirit that Joel said would come and mark the beginning of the last days. And at the end of the last days, the Bible says it will be like a pregnancy where there will be birth pangs that signal the final arrival of the child. And so what we see is we live in the last days. It began with Christ's first coming. It'll end with his second coming. And in these last days, it's like... Like a nine month pregnancy that ends with intense pain that precedes the second coming or the arrival of Jesus. And so when Joel says the day of the Lord is coming, it will come during the last days. We are living in the last days. No one else can say more definite than us, it is near. There's no prophecy that says, well, this has got to happen, and then this has got to happen. There's nothing else. The day of the Lord is terrible, and it is near. There's no way around it. And so if you are thinking about what I'm saying, it is a terrible day of destruction. And it is nearer, nearer to us than anyone else. And the Bible, if you believe in God's word, God's word is telling you, be ready for it. Do what I said. Friday's coming and there will be consequences if you haven't done it. Then your question should be, well, who in the world can endure such a day? Look at Joel 2.11. The day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? That's the question Joel wants us to answer. Who can endure this day? This leads us to our final point. The day of the Lord is a day of destruction. It's a day that is near, but praise God. It's also a day of salvation. Amen. It's a day of salvation. Joel 2, 12 through 14 tells us how to endure. He says, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all of your heart. Don't play games. If I've got your attention and you realize the reality of the day of the Lord and the nature of the day of the Lord, you will get serious. And he says, return to me. With all your heart, with fasting and weeping, not because those are things that you do to earn favor with God, but because when you grasp the reality, you don't want to eat. You can't just party and eat and frolic around when you know destruction is at the doorstep. You fast, you weep, you mourn, and you rend your hearts, not just your garments. You don't just put on for show. You don't just do religion to make other people think something. You know God's penetrating eyes are looking at your heart and you get real with him. Return to the Lord your God. For why? Because he rewards your great deeds. He measures you with a scale of righteousness and your good outperforms your bad. Is that what it says? you should be standing up saying, blasphemy. It's not what he says. Return to the Lord for he is gracious, unmerited favor. He is merciful, withholds judgment that is deserved. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. To use the New Testament language, he looks at Jesus' righteousness and he gives you credit so that you can take refuge from the wrath of God. That's amazing grace. So Joel tells us, the only way to endure the coming destruction is to take refuge in Christ. Now he uses Old Testament language that as we study Genesis we know that the Lord God promised to Abram I'll redeem and restore my people and my planet through the seed of Abraham and we trace that seed all the way through different family lines and then we if you kept reading your Bible and and In 2 Samuel 7, we see that seed of Abraham is also the seed of King David. So we're looking for a king who will be the eternal king, who will redeem and restore God's people and his planet, who will be the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then Matthew 1 1 says his name is Jesus. That God is redeeming and restoring his people and his planet through those who are in Jesus Christ. Here's how he says it in Joel. Look at verse 16, 316. Excuse me, let me start with 232. And it shall come to pass, in 232, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who does what? Calls on the name of the Lord. The Lord, Yahweh. Joel, the very name means Yahweh is God. Genesis taught us, who is this God? The God of Abraham, the God who created, the God who promised to redeem and restore through the seed of Abraham, whose name is Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Do you hear the Lord calling you? Trust in Jesus alone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone who does not call on the name of the Lord shall be destroyed. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. The day of the Lord will be a day of destruction for his enemies and a day of salvation for those who are in Christ, the same day. So the only way to endure the coming judgment is to trust in God's gracious provision of Jesus Christ. Joel, speaking of Jesus in these verses, listen to verse 16. The Lord roars from Zion. Lord utters his voice from Jerusalem. These are all pointers to Jesus. From Zion, from Jerusalem, and the heavens, and the earthquake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. Verse 17, chapter 3. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. Jesus is the Lord of Zion, God's holy king of Jerusalem. He will redeem God's people and God's planet. The day of the Lord is a terrible, destructive day for his enemies, but a day of restoration for God's people. He goes on to describe that restoration, verse eighteen. In that day, the mountains shall once again drip with wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Shittim. And Egypt shall become a desolation; desolation. The nations shall be destroyed. Edom a desolate wilderness, for the violence done to the people of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. So you hear the double-sided edge of the sword, salvation and judgment all in one. But Judah shall be inhabited forever and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood. Blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. So there's two sides of the sword. One is a side of judgment for those who are refusing to trust in Christ. The other is a day of salvation for those who have taken refuge in Christ. So where are you today? Summer's here. Everything inside of us, everything culturally, everything is telling us a different message. Just switch into neutral. Just coast. Just get lukewarm. Don't take it so seriously. People are going to think you're over the top. You're going to think you're over the top. You're going to think, why am I so serious? Can't I just relax, even spiritually? And that's why we read the word and the prophets say, don't do it. Why? Because it's a path. Of destruction. It's not going to lead to peace. It's not going to lead to comfort. It's not going to lead to prosperity. It's going to lead to destruction. And so the prophets say. Alert. The day of the Lord is real. It is destructive. And it is near. Remember. The Lord. Rip your hearts. Repent. Repent. Return to the Lord. Father, would you help us? Would you help us to return to you? Father God, I pray that the Spirit of God will rip our hearts open this morning, expose the things that are not pleasing to you, that we may agree with those and turn away from those, lay them at the cross where you said your blood would forgive us of those sins that you would pull us back to yourself into your your path where there's streams of life that's life-giving it's not death but it's life it's joy it's peace though it may be hard though it's counter to our own desires at times and though it's counter to the culture may we not allow ourselves to grow lukewarm but to stay passionate about your glory your holiness your purposes may we remember the lord his loyalty to us and your loyalty lord demands our loyalty and lord if of all the people here this morning i I got to believe there are people who have not trusted Jesus for their salvation from the coming wrath. Lord, I pray that they will hear the call of the Lord, that the Lord, that you would call them and draw them to yourself and that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and they would trust solely in the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and for the gift of righteousness, that he would be the rock, the shelter, the refuge, in the storm that's coming. That you would be our salvation. That you, Christ, would bring us full restoration of all things for your glory. And it's to you that we sing these words. It's in Christ's name we pray.